Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we're continuing the series that we've been in the past few weeks, and just to kind of kick things off or get started, I want you to just join me right now and think about somebody in your life who you would say is incredibly life-giving to you. Like, we all have people like that. Maybe it's like your grandma who just loves you so unconditionally, and and when you think about going to grandma's house, it's like, man, it's this warm, fuzzy feeling, or maybe you've got like a a coach, or maybe it was your dad or your mom who uh, taught you so many things, and every time you were around them, you felt strengthened and encouraged, or I think we all have people like that, right? That when you're around them, it just kind of lifts you and you feel better and you feel amazing. Do you have somebody in mind right now? Anybody? You guys here? Okay. We're going to talk about the opposite today. Okay. We're going to talk about the opposite because the series that we're in is called Relational Vampires. And uh, what vampires do is they want to suck your blood. But what relational vampires do is they suck the life out of you, right? And what we've acknowledged together is that there are people in life that all of us will interact with. You have your people, I have mine, that just seem to drain us when we're around. Like, like it's difficult for us to connect with them or to love them or, or to navigate some of the tendencies that they have. And uh, this is a big deal for us to talk about. We said this every week. We're going to say it every week. Uh, there's this foundational idea behind why we're talking about how to love people who suck the life out of us. And that reason is because loving people is important. I know that feels like bottom shelf 101 level, like be a good person. But beyond that, uh, it's actually something Jesus said summed up everything that God wants us to do. One time somebody asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said that you can sum up all of the law and the prophets, everything that's found in the Old Testament, that whole front half of your Bible, all the commandments, Jesus said could be summed up in the instruction to love God and to love people to love God and to let that love for God be expressed in the way that we love one another. So loving people is a really big deal. It's really important, but it's also something that's easier said than done, especially as it relates to those people who drain us, those people who it's just hard to relate to. And what we've said throughout this series is it's okay that there are people like that in your life and in my life. Uh, We don't talk about it maybe often in a church context, but the reality is we don't all get along supernaturally. We have differences about us, and that's okay, uh, that we can actually figure out ways to love people who maybe are difficult for us to love. And we said that there's a lot of different reasons that it's uh, harder for us to love some people rather than others. We all have personality differences, uh, even just little things about our temperament. Like, I tend to kind of talk fast and get excited. Maybe you're like a slow-paced person. You're like, chill out, man. Like, that's okay, okay? Like, if you can tolerate me, I'll tolerate you. We'll get through this together. Um, There's personal preferences. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but uh, this past week, my family and I were able to get away and and go on a little vacation, and so we spent two days in Disney. Uh, But my friend Daryl, who is up here, is not a Disney person. I know, I don't believe it either, but we let him come here anyway because it's okay, right? You can have differences in your personal preferences. Um, On a more serious level, sometimes the difficulty we have in relating to one another happens because of difficult things that we're going through. If you've ever tried to love somebody who is going through something hard, it it can be difficult because when you're going through something hard, it's like that's the only thing you can focus on. It it just kind of dominates your reality. Maybe you've tried to love somebody who's making bad choices, choices that are hurting them and maybe even hurting you. That can be so 
so difficult. So what we're doing in this series is we're talking about specific types of people that all of us encounter along the way and trying to learn how we can love them in the midst of that difficulty. And one other quick disclaimer we said every week, although we're kind of talking about those people out there as if they're removed from us, the reality is all of us can be these people too. All of us can fall into these tendencies if we aren't careful. So we're learning how to love them and we're also taking a look at ourselves to make sure we don't become them to somebody else along the way. But we started out talking about how do we love people who are controlling. And on week one, uh, we said that to love somebody who's controlling or manipulative, like somebody who has a plan for your life and they want you to do what they uh, want you to do, the way that we set a loving boundary towards those people is we have to have an understanding of what we're called to do. And that idea of calling, it seems like a big lofty thing, like it means you're supposed to move to a foreign country or something or change your job. But that's not what we said. On week one, we said that calling can be small and simple. It can be the calling you have uh, to be a mom or to be a dad, the calling you have to be a member of this community, to be a good neighbor, the calling you have at your job or, or some of the gifts and talents that you have. Those are things that God calls us to say yes to. And knowing what those things are also frees us up to know what we should say no to. And, and so what we said on week one is, when it comes to controlling or manipulative people, sometimes you have to draw a line in the sand. And you have to say, I love you, but that's not what God has for me. And so you do your own thing. So we talked about that. Last week, we kept going, and we talked about how do we love people who are critical, people who just seem to have kind of a negative outlook on life, or they're always able to pick your life apart or pick things, a lot, uh, pick things apart. And what we said is there's a range of ways that we can respond to a critical person. Uh, maybe the most important thing is we said often you don't respond that just because somebody has a criticism of you doesn't mean you have to take the bait and you have to pick the fight and you have to engage with them, but often you can just overlook the offense. You can let it pass right over you. We said sometimes you do respond, but when you respond, you have to respond carefully. We don't wanna react emotionally in the moment, but rather we wanna step back and we want to intentionally, with wisdom, uh, respond to others when we're gonna respond. We said occasionally you should actually listen and make a change in your life that not all criticism is bad. And sometimes a loving critique of, of somewhere you need to grow is the very thing that you need to be able to take that next step in your journey. And so occasionally we listen and we actually make some changes. But no matter what, we said always, when it comes to a critical spirit or people who are critical in nature, you have to guard your heart because the danger of loving a critical person is it can be this cycle where people are hurt and so then they're angry and so then they're critical and then that hurts, so then you get angry, so then you're critical, and on and on and on the cycle goes, and so guarding your heart keeps you from falling into that. Uh, next week, we're going to wrap the series up by talking about people who are hypocritical. There's people who say one thing and then do another, uh, especially in the church. This can be difficult to navigate. Like, what's our responsibility in loving people who maybe say that they follow Jesus, but their lives look nothing like Jesus? We're going to talk about that and if we have a role in that, or if we're just supposed to overlook that, or, or what that looks like. But today, uh, we're gonna talk about how do we love people who are needy. Those people that we genuinely care about, but who always seem to need more than we can give them, right? No matter how much you do, it seems like they always need more from you. And I think that there's this spiritual principle that in every group, or every family, or every team, or, or, or every gathering of people, that there is always at least one crazy needy person. Right? I think the verse says, like, wherever two or three are gathered, there's one needy, crazy person. Uh, something like that. But how many of you would agree, like, there's always a crazy person, a needy, crazy person somewhere? Yeah, look around. The people who don't have their hands up, I'll let you be the judge, right? But uh, I'm teasing. But in reality, like, it's something we all have to face. Like, how do you 
deal with? How do you love somebody who seems like they're always demanding something from you? They're always in need of something. And these are people like, it's the people that you know when you see them coming, the conversation is going to take longer than you want it to. <laughs> right, right? Like they're just going to dominate the conversation and they'll probably tell you the same stories over and over and over again, often sad stories to make you feel bad, to help meet their needs. Uh, it's the person whose name shows up on your phone and your stomach drops. You're like, man, do I have to answer this time? Or when you pull into the office, like the parking lot, and you see their car, you're like, no, it's that day. Like we have that meeting today. I can't handle it. Uh, often needy people act like they're the victim. There's always a reason that they need something and it's never their fault, but they, they always need more and more. And if you do something for them out of the kindness of your own heart, they may receive it, but they often ask for more on top of it. You give and they seem to always want some more. Like maybe you have a relative who you love and you want to love well, but uh, they live on their own. And so they're always asking for more and more of your support and it's hard to figure out. Uh, maybe it's the guy in your friend group who doesn't have a lot of friends other than you. And so they're always asking for more and more of your time and more and more of your attention. Maybe it's that friend you have who just needs some money and then needs some money and then needs some money and then needs some money, right? Or that insecure person in the office who's always fishing for a compliment on their work. Like, is it okay? Was it, was it good enough? Do you notice me? They always need a little bit more. Maybe you've just got a friend that's on the struggle bus, right? They're just a mess. And uh, I meant to say this earlier, Another disclaimer for this whole series is we're not going to like elbow anybody or point any fingers, okay? Because that's not super loving. But uh, the reality is like we all encounter this and I encounter this on a personal level as a pastor. Like it's an occupational hazard of mine that I have to love needy people. <laughs> I mean, get to love needy people <laughs> along the way. I, it's a part of my job and, and I love that I get to do it. Like in all seriousness, I, a pastor is like a shepherd, they're a caretaker, and I get to walk with people through some of the most difficult and some of the most significant moments of their lives. I get to hear uh, parts of people's stories that they don't maybe share with other people, and, and we figure out what it looks like to move forward, and there's this tension that exists in that, because probably like you, like I genuinely care about people, believe it or not. Like I, I really do want to love people well and care for people well, uh, but you may or may not know this, not only am I pastor Eric, I'm also Eric the person, right? Like a real person throughout the week besides when they just like unlock me from the vault and roll me out here on Sundays. Uh, but that means that I also have limits and, and my own capacity, right? I have my own needs, my own boundaries that, that matter. And, and it can be so difficult to know where the line is, to caring for other people, to meeting other people's needs and protecting yourself and taking care of yourself along the way. And here's what I want you to know today. It doesn't make you a bad Christian or a bad person if you feel that struggle with me. It doesn't make you like lesser if there's tension in this for you because the tension is like we all want to give love, but where's the limit to that? Right? Where do you draw the line? Where is it unhealthy along the way? How do you love a needy person without feeling like you're enabling them or, or maybe even rewarding bad behavior? We've all probably felt that tension before of, of like, what do I do? And so what we're going to talk about today is how do we love a needy person in a way that honors God, that honors ourselves by setting healthy boundaries, and genuinely helps them, genuinely helps meet their needs. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three uh, main thoughts today about how we can love and respond to a needy person and how we can help without hurting. And, and the first thing that I would say and how we can love a needy person is we have to give strategically. And, and that strategic part, is the most important part. Because if you've been around story for any amount of time, you know every single week 
we encourage Jesus followers to practice generosity. We think it's just like baked in, and that's why every week we do the whole offering thing. It's not just to pay the bills. It's also to produce something in us. We think generosity is a good thing, and so giving is a good thing. It's good to want to help meet other people's needs. It's good to give, but the problem is most of us tend to give emotionally, not strategically. Most of us tend to give emotionally, and what I mean by that is it's like you hear the Sarah McLachlan music playing, and you see all the puppies, and you're like, I have to do something, right? That's giving emotionally. Uh, Most of us, we see a need, and because we care, we react, and so most of us, when we react, we want to do the first thing we can, which is the thing that's easiest. It's to do the thing that's convenient, the things that's obvious, and often it's to do the thing that makes us feel a little less guilty about whatever experience or situation we've just encountered along the way. Because when we engage with somebody else's needs in an emotional way, we often do what feels good for us, maybe even what they're asking us to do, or whatever removes our guilt. But what we want to do is we want to be people who give strategically. And what does that mean? Well, giving strategically means that instead of focusing on what a needy person wants, we have to stop and actually ask ourselves, what do they really need? Like, what do they really need? What will genuinely help them? Not just in the moment, but what's genuinely going to help them in the long term? Because when we give emotionally, often we just want to respond in that moment, right? Something tugs at our heartstrings, and so we want to do something, and then we move on with our life. But really helping somebody, it takes a more thoughtful, prayerful, strategic approach. And there's actually this account uh, in Scripture where a couple of Jesus' followers, named Peter and John, had to make this decision, how they were going to respond to somebody's need. And they illustrate this idea of strategic giving in a really powerful way. It's recorded in the book of Acts, which records uh, basically the beginnings of the church movement. After Jesus' resurrection, uh, many of Jesus' followers who had previously unfollowed him, refollowed him, and they started spreading the news about everything that Jesus had done and everything that Jesus had said. And so this movement starts moving, and it tells us that one day, Peter and John were walking by the temple gate, and there was this man who was there who was in serious need. This was a guy who was unable to walk, and so every day, his friends or his family members would pick him up, and they would carry him to the temple gate so that he could sit there and he could beg and, and he could ask people uh, to give him money, and, and that's what people would do. They would walk by, they would feel bad, and they would give him some money because there's that whole like, emotional giving thing showing up, right? He wanted it, and, and so he would ask for it, and eventually they would give him what he wanted. And here's what happens when this man sees Peter and John. It says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. We've probably all had that exchange before, right? Like you lock eyes with the person and they ask you for something and you know looking back at you that they're expecting to get something from you and and there's the tension. Like how do I respond in that moment? Uh, Peter and John, they see a guy in need. He asks them for money and then they look straight at him and they give his attention. They're like, hey, look at us. And, And the way that he looks back at them you can tell he's expecting them to give something to him. And I think the reason that is, is because this man knows what most needy people intuitively know, that if you ask long enough, and you're consistent enough, and you're persistent enough, eventually somebody will come along and they'll emotionally respond to you, and they'll give you what you're asking for, even if it's not what you really need. They'll, they'll give you what you're asking for. If you lear- People learn that if I'm loud enough and I just keep going, if I'm loud enough and I just keep talking about it, eventually somebody's going to come along and they'll give me what help I'm asking for, even if it doesn't really 
help me at all. And this man learned that he could every single day rely on somebody to pick him up and carry him to that gate. And they would set him down there and he would sit and he would say, give me what I want, give me what I want. And somebody would come along and they would do what we all often do. They would feel guilty. And so they would give him what he wanted. Whether or not it actually helped him, they would relieve their own guilt. Or or they would try and be compassionate, but they would just do the easy thing in the moment. And again, that's what we all often do, isn't it? We see somebody's need and we're thinking, okay, what can I do that resolves the problem but costs me as little as possible and helps me like move on and keep doing my thing? And think about it in this situation. It would have been easy for Peter and John. Like, what was the guy asking for? Money. What would have been very easy for them to give him? Money. They just toss him a little change, feel good about themselves, look super holy, like walking by the temple. We did something good today. Jesus is going to be proud of me. And, And then they just kept going. But that's not what they do at all because they didn't respond emotionally, but rather they modeled for us what it looks like to give strategically. And here's what happens. This man asks for money, but Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now I know there's like this miraculous component to the story, and as you're walking around and meeting people's needs, you're like, I can't make people walk, Eric. And I get that, like that's part of the story, but The point here is they saw this man, but they didn't give him what he wanted. They they didn't respond emotionally and just give him what he was asking for because they had an understanding of what he really needed. And what they knew is that it's easier to give a handout, but that doesn't always mean that you're really giving a hand up. That it's easier to just respond to somebody in the moment, but it will always take more time and more faith and more effort to actually give strategically, to actually give in a way that helps people and actually meets people's needs. It's that difference between giving emotionally versus giving strategically. And here's the thing. If you've ever tried to do this with that needy person in your life, you probably feel the pushback. You're like, yeah, but if I don't give them what they want, they're going to guilt trip me, right? They're going to push back. They're going to throw a fit. They're going to say, if you really loved me, you'd give me more attention. If you really loved me, you'd give me the money. If you really loved me, you'd give me the time. And that's why we've got to decide ahead of time to be spirit-led, to be prayerful, to be thoughtful, to be discerning and confident about what people really need. Because it's not wrong to say, hey, because I love you, I'm not going to give you what you want. But rather, I'm going to give you what you need. For example, that person who says, like, hey, I can't make my car payment this month. It's $300. Can you help me out? you got to be discerning and not maybe just hand out the cash right away if you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're wearing an Apple Watch and Yeezys, right? And I know, I've seen you. You're on Fortnite all the time and you don't have a job. Like, you got to be discerning, right? Because in the moment, you probably don't need to give them the $300. You probably need to say, hey, can we have coffee and I'll talk about how to budget? Can I help you fill out job applications? Right? They want the help in the moment, but what they really need is something deeper. And this isn't just true in material ways either. Right? Sometimes people want validation from us, but what they really need is to figure out how to love and accept themselves. Sometimes people want our attention or our time, and what they need to do is really develop their own identity and their own passions. And so it's so important for us to see this difference and how we can actually give, but give strategically. It seems harsh maybe in the moment, but it's actually the loving thing to do to give people what they need, not just what they want. I remember I read this book. Uh, it's called When Helping Hurts. And in it, there's this story of a church that was trying to do something amazing around Christmas time because we all love to be generous around the holidays. And uh, there was this family that was in need in the church. They knew that like, the dad wasn't going to be able to really provide a great 
uh, Christmas gifts under the tree for his kids. And so uh, what the church decided to do was they were going to go above and beyond, and they were going to spend a couple hundred bucks and buy amazing toys and deliver them to the family uh, at Christmas time. And so they did that. They got all the stuff, and they showed up, and, and they brought out all the toys, and the kids were like, blah, their mind's blown. It's amazing because kids love toys, and they don't care where they come from. <laughs> like, just can I have it? But in the book, it talks about how this pastor noticed the dad of the family. And as they're handing out these toys and thinking, they're, oh, I'm doing this amazing thing, the dad went over to the couch and he put his head in his hands and he hung his head in shame because what the church thought they were doing and helping actually just highlighted the problem for this dad. It shamed him. And the church thought that what this family needed was toys, but what that dad needed was dignity, right? What that dad really needed was to feel like he could contribute in some way. And, and so rather than giving all those toys and like meeting the want, what if that church had had the perspective to say, hey, what can you give, Dad? We'll, we'll match the cash. We'll let you go out and shop. You can wrap it. You can put your name on it. You can get the credit, and we'll give you a hand up, not just a hand out. That's the point. That's the difference between giving emotionally versus giving strategically. So the first thing we need to do is we need to learn to give strategically, but the second thing we've got to remember as we love needy people in our lives is we have to serve wisely. And again, serving wisely is the important part because all of us want to serve, right? I think at, at our core, most people want to help people if you find somebody in need. We want to do something. And if you want to follow Jesus, you've got a great example because look at what Jesus did. He served selflessly. He loved people authentically. He would listen with compassion to people. He taught faithfully. He would give of his time and his resources generously. And then he would also step off and, and go off on his own. And he would try and recharge and connect with his heavenly father to recharge spiritually and physically and then eventually go back out and give again. And both of those things are important if we want to love needy people in our lives. You see this rhythm again and again and again in the life of Jesus. He would give and he would give and he would give and he would give and then he would unplug and he would go receive from his heavenly father. He would pour out from a full cup, not from an empty cup, because he was willing to take the time to let God fill him back up. God would fill him back up so that he could continue to give. And this is the point for us today. If you want to love a needy person, in order for you to keep giving out, at some point you have to stop to fill back up. It's not selfish to take care of yourself in that way. It's not selfish to stop and to reconnect with your heavenly father and to rest and to recharge. Here's the way that Jesus modeled it. In the Gospel of Mark uh, that accounts Jesus' life, it says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, so nobody else is awake, right? Very early in the morning, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. We've all probably felt that one too, right? You're trying to get a little bit of time away and like it's all waiting for you. Like every parent of a toddler when you're in the bathroom, it's like, they're all waiting for you. They're like banging at the door and you're just trying to like stare at your phone for a second. It's a common reality for all of us. If you've ever tried to love somebody, to serve somebody, to meet a practical need, it's hard to know how to draw the line, isn't it? It's hard to know, like, where can I stop or what's it look like to be healthy? And man, I felt this again this week uh, because I'm a pastor, right? I, I love to care for people, but this week has been fall break and my wife's a teacher, so it's a time that we want to get away. But to be honest with you, there's some situations happening right now in the life of people I care about in our church that they're requiring some extra attention from me. They're, they're requiring some extra care, and I love to be able to give that. I love to be able to, to serve in that way, like I said, to walk with people through the highs and the lows of life. But I felt the tension. 
because this has been on the calendar for a while, long before the, some of these situations popped up. And it's like, man, I, I know that I can help them. I know that, that they appreciate what I've been doing, but, but like, I've got to get away. And so I had to make a conscious choice. I actually talked to some of these people who are going through some stuff, and I told them, like, hey, I'm going to be on vacation for the next week. And you can still text me, like, if you're in prison or the hospital, let me know. Uh, I told them, like, Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm at Disney. I will not answer my phone. <laughs> like, like, there's magic there, and we're going to preserve it. Uh, but in all seriousness, it was hard. It, it was hard for me to do that. It, it was hard for me to not feel like I was letting them down or I wasn't doing my job as a pastor. But what I chose to do is I chose to set a boundary so that me and my family could get away, so that we could recharge, so we could have some time to, to connect with one another, to connect with God, and come back filled up, eager, and ready to continue to give and to continue to serve. It's so difficult to do this. But we flew to Florida, and you know what they tell you on the plane? When you're sitting on the plane and they do the whole safety security thing, they tell you in the event of an emergency, the mask is going to drop down and put the mask on yourself first and then pick your favorite child, right? Like, that's what they tell you. And the reason that they say put it on yourself first is because if you're not healthy, you can't keep your kids healthy, right? If you don't take care of you, you can't take care of them either. And there's this little detail in a story that Jesus told once. We know it as the story of the Good Samaritan. It's actually kind of a model for what it looks like to go above and beyond to help somebody. And if you don't know the story, essentially what happened is there's this guy who gets beat up and he gets left half dead by the side of the road. And everybody that you would expect to help him passes by and they don't do a thing. But then this unexpected person, a Samaritan, stops and actually helps a Jewish man, which in that day was unheard of because there was all this racism and, and fighting going on. But Jesus makes the most unlikely person the hero of the story, and the Samaritan bandages up this guy who's in need. He cares for him, he puts oil on his wounds, and he picks him up, and he puts him on his own donkey, and they travel together across town, and he takes him to a hotel room, and he says, you take care of this guy, and I'll pay you money when I get back, and I'll come back later and I'll help any way that I can. And then he leaves. And we don't often think about that part of the story, do we? But he takes the man to the hotel, he sets him there, and he leaves. And do you know where he went? I don't either, because Jesus doesn't tell us. But I'm guessing he probably went back to his mama or his wife and his kids and went back to his family, or, or maybe he went off to work because he knew that he had to get paid if he was gonna go pay for this guy's hotel bill. Right? He, he knew that he had to recharge and refuel if he was actually going to pour out and take care of this person. In some form or fashion, he knew he had to keep himself healthy if he wanted to be able to help other people stay healthy too. And to make this memorable for you and for me, we could say it this way. You can't say yes often if you don't say no occasionally. If you want to meet other people's needs, you can't say yes to those needs often if you don't say no occasionally. You have to take the time. If you want to help somebody who's in need, you have to be able to pour out of a full cup because you've taken the time to be refilled from your Heavenly Father, to be refilled through rest, to be refilled so that when you ha want to give, you actually have something to give so that your cup's not empty as you try and give. So we're going to give strategically, right? We're going to serve, but we're going to serve wisely. And then number three, if you want to love needy people, and the thing you've got to learn to do is you've got to trust completely. Specifically, you've got to learn to trust God completely because when it comes to loving needy people in our lives, we have to understand the difficult reality sometimes that we're not the ones responsible for results and outcomes. Like, like we should do 
what God has called us to do. We should do what God leads us to do, what we just talked about, giving strategically, serving wisely. But then we have to trust him completely with the outcomes. We have to trust him completely with what happens. And here's some hard truth for all of us helpers in the room. It is insulting and it's dangerous to ever start to believe that you're the solution to somebody else's problem. It's insulting to God for you to believe that you're the solution to their problem and it's dangerous for you because nothing will make you more arrogant, nothing will make you push those boundaries and your limits, nothing will make you burn out faster than believing it's your job to fix everybody else. And this is the church answer, but it's the true answer that you're not somebody's answer. Jesus is the answer. That, that our job is to be used by God, but we're not the ones with the power, right? He, he works in us and through us. We're the delivery system, but Jesus is the one with the power. Jesus is the source. We're the conduit. He's the source of the power, okay? And, and the problem is, if you and I think that it's your job to fix everybody else, your God is too small. If you think it's your job to fix everybody else, your God is too small because God may use you, he may use me, but he doesn't need you. And he doesn't ultimately need me. And sometimes, here's a little bit more hard truth, sometimes God actually works through letting people face the consequences of their decisions. Sometimes the way God works isn't by us fixing something, but it's by somebody actually facing the reality of what they've been through. And the Apostle Paul said it like this to the first century church in Galatia. He said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. It's this principle that shows up again and again through scripture that our actions have consequences. That what you reap is what you sow. Or in other words, what grows is what you plant. That the decisions that you make lead to outcomes. And of course, there are things like grace and forgiveness that show up and disrupt that sometimes. But in general, it's a reality that we all face. That what we do has consequences. It has actions along the way. And he says you can make good choices that lead to life, but you can also make bad choices that lead to difficulty and to destruction along the way. And we see this show up again in another story Jesus told. A story we know is the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know that one, uh, there was this dad who had two sons, and the younger son essentially went to his dad, and he said, Dad, I would rather you be dead than be here. I mean, it's incredibly offensive. He, he says, you know what, I would rather you just not be here, but since you are here, will you just give me my inheritance now? Like, like can you give me what I would get if you weren't here anymore, and I'm going to go do what I want to do. Can you give me the money, and I want to go party and do my thing? And remarkably, the dad grants this absurd request. The dad's like, okay. Like you can have your inheritance, you can do your thing. And so the son went out and he broke the father's heart because he like betrayed every value that the father had tried to teach him. And he lived this wild, crazy life and went out and partied and, and went nuts. And the father, he prayed every day, I would imagine. He watched every day, hoping that his son might return. He hoped every day. But do you know what the father never did? Father never went out and rescued his son. Father didn't chase after him. The father didn't hear the report of all the bad stuff that was going on and go out and fix it for him. And what ends up happening is his son ends up in the pig pen, like eating the stuff that the pigs are eating and rolling in the stuff that the pigs are rolling in. It's not a glamorous place to be. And, and this son, who the father loves, ends up sitting there and he realizes in that moment, this isn't working so well for me, <laughs> right? Maybe I've made a mistake somewhere. The text 
actually says that as the son was sitting in the pig pen, he came to his senses. That sitting there in that mess, he came to his senses because the father loved him enough to let him end up there. The father loved him enough to let him go there. He didn't rescue him. And the son's bad decisions took him to a place where he realized, man, even my father's servants have it better than this. And so he thought, maybe I need to go back. Maybe I need to go back and apologize and see if he'll take me back, even if, if not as a son, maybe he'll take me back as a servant and that's still better than this. The point is the father loved the son enough to let the God-given consequences of his actions play out in his life so that he could get to a point where he came to his senses, so that he could come back, so that the story ends happy, he could be received back into the family. But the father didn't step in and fix it for him. And something that's so difficult for us, again, if you have like a helping nature, something that is so difficult for us to understand is that rescuing is not always helping. Like moms, dads, I do it too. Rescuing is not always helping. And it is a hard lesson for us to apply. Like, like some of us, you've got that friend or maybe that employee who's always late. They're always late. And so you always cover for them. But maybe what needs to happen is they need to lose their job so that they learn that they have some responsibilities in life and they need to figure out how to manage their time differently. If you've got a son or a daughter and they're in college and they party their brains out and they're like having a blast all the time but they're not going to class, maybe they should lose their scholarship, right? Maybe they should get in trouble so that they learn the value of the education that they're pursuing. If you know somebody and they're charging up debt like it's their job and they're going on incredible vacations and they just bought the purse and the three outfits and the brand new car that they can't afford, they might need to get evicted from their apartment, right? If they're, if they're not prioritizing their resources in that way, they might have to face the hard reality of our choices having consequences. Sometimes rescuing people from those consequences doesn't actually help them. And I know that sounds cruel, but it is actually loving because it can help people wake up to the reality of their own actions and their own decisions. This happened for me in my life. Uh, thankfully, when I was young, I was in eighth grade, and uh, I was in love. I was in eighth grade, and I had this girlfriend. And uh, here's the thing. My parents didn't want me to date that young. So to have this girlfriend, I lied to my parents all the time. Me and this girl were in drama club together, and so I would tell my mom that drama club ran an extra hour so I could have some backstage time, if you know what I'm saying. So we would hang out together, and one day mom showed up at the right time, <laughs> and I was in the wrong place. And uh, you can imagine how that story goes. I got in huge trouble. I mean, honestly, in that moment, eighth grade me, I was blown away by the intensity of my parents when they caught me lying like that. Like, I was kind of like, whoa, 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 I'm in eighth grade. My dad was even like, going so far as saying, like, hey, if you want to make decisions like this, if you want to treat your mom and I in this way, you may not be welcome in this house. And I'm like, I can't drive. <laughs> like, I don't have anywhere to go. I'm in eighth grade. And what ended up happening is the summer before my freshman year, when all of my friends were getting pumped to go to high school, I was grounded. I had no phone, no texting plan. I was in my room <laughs> for like three months or two and a half months. And I finally learned how to read. Like, <laughs> I was like, I guess I've got to do something with all this time. I sat there. And uh, honestly, for me, it was a difficult thing to go through to feel the consequences of my own actions, to face the reality of my own bad behavior. It was also probably one of the most spiritually significant seasons of my life, e even to this day, because I was left there and I had to face it and I was humbled and I had to learn what kind of person I really wanted to be. And I am so grateful today 
that my parents were that intense then when the stakes were low, so I learned the lesson when the stakes were low, rather than that they had come in and they had rescued me, or they had just fixed it, and they let me continue in that bad behavior when the stakes get much higher later in life. See, rescuing isn't always helping. Sometimes God uses the consequences of our actions to develop character in us. And what I hope you can see today, as we talk about loving people who are needy, loving people who are hard to love, it's that we should always love others. We should always help others from a posture of humility, not superiority. From a posture of humility, not a posture of arrogance. And it's so important, I think, for Jesus followers to remember this. Because sometimes we can like, believe we're answer people because Jesus is the answer. And so we can tend to have like project people that we're working on, right? We're hoping they turn a corner. Here's what we've got to remember. People are never projects. People are always people. People who are made in the image of God, who have needs just like you and I have needs. And that's the truth. If we want to actually love and relate to needy people well, we've got to also realize that we're needy too that there's not a one of us in the room who doesn't have needs. Some of us like to act like we don't, but there's not a one of us in the room who don't have needs. If you've ever uh, traveled overseas to a country maybe that's uh, experiencing poverty and you've tried to help people, you've probably had this kind of experience where you go and and you see material needs that you're going to go meet. Maybe you're going to rebuild a house or take care of something like flood relief or whatever. You go to this place and and you think, I'm going to help them, and you certainly do make an impact. But if you've ever been on a trip like that, I would be willing to bet that they helped you too, right? If you went to a place where there's less resources, I would be willing to bet you discovered a different spirit or a different attitude, a a joy that didn't make sense despite the circumstance, a peace or a different perspective. And while you may be meeting their material needs, they may be meeting your spiritual needs. And and the point is all of us have needs. It, It may not look the same between us, but all of us have needs. And that is the power of the church when the church is working right. Right? When the church is working right, it's not a bunch of superior people bringing their projects along to try and fix them. It's a bunch of needy people bumping into other needy people and taking our needs to our Savior who can actually meet them. It's all of us recognizing our brokenness. When needy people find their needs met through one another, loving one another the way that God through Christ loves us. And by the way, that's what Jesus said would identify us to other people as Jesus followers. That's how people will know that we actually follow Jesus. He said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, if you love one another. And that means recognizing our needs, recognizing that we are all needy people. And so we give strategically. We actually get down below the surface and we figure out what the needs really are and how we can really help without hurting. And we serve wisely because you can't give from an empty cup, so you have to be willing to say no sometimes so you can say yes often, and you always trust God with the outcomes, knowing that he is the actual solution along the way. And what we get to do together is I get to point you to Jesus when you need him, which is all the time, by the way, and you get to point me to Jesus when I need him all the time, and on and on and on we go as we gather more and more needy people together. And when we do this, when we get this right, it's irresistible to a watching world when they see us not be better than everybody else, but they see us be willing to be humble, to be broken, to be needy, and to take those needs to a God who can satisfy them and who can care for us. So let me pray for you that that would be true of us as a community. God, uh, man, I've said this every week in this series, but I feel like this is so difficult for us to actually live out because 
we're all running at a crazy pace and, and life can feel like a lot and then people can feel like a lot, <laughs> if we're honest. Uh, but God, I just pray that you would give us the wisdom, uh, the perspective to see people not so much as needy people, but just as people with needs. And, and when we want to meet those needs, that you would give us the wisdom to not just give emotionally, not just try and get like our guilty feelings to go away or to do the easy thing, but that we could be people who actually figure out what the real needs are, that we would give strategically to meet them, that we would serve wisely, that we wouldn't just go, 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 and pour out and pour out and pour out, but that we would actually stop and we would recharge and we would refuel and we would connect with you and know that it's out of your overflow in our lives that we get to serve other people. God, help us trust you with the outcomes and to realize that rescuing isn't always helping, that rescuing isn't always helping, and even when it's difficult, we need to love people through the consequences of their actions and help point them back to you. And God, may we be a community of needy people who recognize their need for you, who are willing to admit it to one another, and who allow you to work in us and through us. And as we do that, may we attract people into your movement who are needy as well and can find their needs satisfied in you. We pray and we ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.